You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. I wonder if there was ever a time when you didn't have to worry about being abducted. Was there ever a time when you could walk down the street alone and not look over your shoulder to see if you're being followed? Was there a time when you didn't have to be cautious that that concerned citizen helping you fix a flat tire wasn't actually luring you into a trap to abduct you? Maybe it's because I am me, but I always check over my shoulder, am wary of strangers, and avoid being out alone after dark when possible. At 30 years old, I try to think back and remember, when did I become like this? I mean, Allison and I are both overcautious people. I remember in college being astounded that my friends would go drinking with people they didn't know. I would look on and wonder as young college students would walk across town after dark for food. No matter how much I wanted to let go of my fear, I was never able to. Surely, I thought, as I grew older, I would be brave. But honestly, I'm still the same. Running to the mailbox after dark, calling Anthony when I leave work so I don't have to walk to my car alone, and I really don't think I'll ever change. Allison and I joke about being rule followers and party poopers, but some traits are just embedded in us. Today, we'll be talking about a fun-loving, adventure-seeking 30-year-old. When she disappeared without a trace, evidence and theories were lacking. Despite being missing since 1990, her family continues to fight for her and hope that one day they'll find all the answers that this case has. This is the case of Paige Rinkowski. cases where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams and my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page Coffee and Cases podcast because as we all know conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. All right, Allison, we have been saying all year, and I know that we're not really that far into So we've been saying for 18 days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That this is the year of the sleuth hound. And today I'm calling on all of our Michigan sleuth hounds to help us solve one of Michigan's longest running cold cases. Wow. I know. I know they can do it too, so... Paige's case, while actually it was very hard to research, um, really pulled at my heartstrings this week because I saw myself in Paige, and I think like you kind of will too. Mm-hmm. So Paige was 30, and so I'm 30 now. Paige was 
30 the year I was born, but that's besides the point. Right. <laughs> um, and at the time of her disappearance, she was a substitute teacher. Another connection. Yeah. And I actually, you know, subbed before I full-time started teaching and respect to substitute teachers because it is hard. So I really felt that I owed it to Paige to talk about her case today. Mm -hmm. Paige was last seen on May 24th, 1990. So she was engaged to be married that November and her and her fiance lived in Lansing, Michigan. Okay. Paige was working at a preschool. She was an aide there and she was also a substitute teacher while she pursued a degree in early childhood development. So, like, initially, I'm like, you go, Paige, because she's 30 yeah. and is still getting this degree. Right. So, that's great. Um, I read in several articles that she actually had plans to work with deaf students. Oh, that's great. Which is an even, like, I think even more special of a call. Yeah, more admirable. According to True Crime Files, in addition to Mother Artis and Father Carl, she had three sisters, Tammy, Michelle, and Cheryl. Her family fondly remembers her love of skateboarding, singing, and swimming, and they describe her as a tomboy with a bubbly personality. So, perfect mix of every quality. Yeah, I think so, too. And from the research that I did, I could tell that Paige was extremely close to her family. Um, like, when we get on in the story, you're going to see, like, her mom took it upon herself to, like, be that constant reminding force to the police. Like, hey, don't forget about my daughter. Like you know, just to keep it kind of fresh. Mm -hmm. And then after her mom passed away, um, her sis, Paige's sister actually took up that same calling right. to be like the voice for Paige. Um, the day that Paige disappeared, she had dr just dropped her mom off at the Detroit Metro Airport. And since that obviously wasn't an all-day event, Paige had plans to meet a friend for lunch that afternoon in the park. Right, so. which would be like us. We're already dressed. So yeah, you may as well make the day. Something. Yeah, make a day of it. Especially when it's COVID. Out. Yeah. I know. I already put makeup on, so right. what else can right. I do today? <laughs> we know that Paige made it to Canton to eat lunch in the park with her friend. And according to various websites, the lunch was uneventful. Just two friends, you know, catching up and having a good time. Okay. So after she finishes up, Paige left to go home. And she was actually headed to her fiance softball game and she wanted to make sure her friend remembered that she got to the game on time okay so she did have a full day yeah the trip from the park to her house would only take about 30 minutes and like i guess this just shows like how isolated where i grew up is but like hearing that the airport was only 30 minutes away from your house oh, like right. i could not identify with right. that growing up yeah like it would take you 30 minutes to get to the grocery yeah. store <laughs> yeah. or the gas station like three hours right. to get to the airport right. um but according to wikipedia and i know we don't like to use wikipedia but it is what it is Paige was seen between 2.30 p.m. and 2.45 at a grocery store that has since closed down on interstate 275 so we know that she is alive and well okay. around 245 while in the store, she bought a beer, and that comes into play a little later. A single beer? Yeah, one single beer. Okay. And the clerk remembered seeing her because she was wearing, quote, distinctive, multicolored, loose-fitting, flower-patterned pants and a distinctive necklace. Okay. So, so she I mean, that is something outfit. that you would remember. Yes. Paige heads home after leaving the store. 
And it's important to point out that the weekend of Paige's disappearance was actually Memorial Day weekend. So the interstate that Paige was traveling on um, would have had tons of traffic like during the oh, time she was traveling. Okay. Like I actually kind of looked it up because I feel like during Memorial Day, like we travel in Kentucky, but mm -hmm. I don't think that it's like it's maybe not as a big, big as deal. what it is right. in other places. Yeah, because they made it sound like in Michigan, like everybody's going north on Memorial Day oh. weekend. Maybe because because um, Memorial Day is May. And so the only reason it's big, like for our family, is that's usually the first weekend we go to the lake. And oh. since you're in Michigan and you've got all the, I'm gonna assume that that's what it is, and that's why they would go north to all of the, like the oh. lakes and stuff, because that's usually like big day at the lake. Everybody's out there. So I guess that's true because summer started. Right. Yeah, that's true. So there's actually like entire forums on TripAdvisor dedicated to like the best time to travel, like during the day, like when you oh. should leave to avoid traffic. Oh, wow. And, like okay. all of this. Yeah, those are things we don't have to worry yes. about here. <laughs> no. And so Paige would have been on the interstate during like a peak travel time because okay. that like online I read most people are either going to leave like really early in the morning to beat the traffic, which they don't. Or they're going to leave around the time that we've last seen Paige, like around three or four. Okay. So it is unsurprising when calls start to come in oh, to the local stop. police station about an abandoned car parked on the side of Interstate 96. I mean, bound to happen. There's all kinds of yeah traffic. Tires yeah. And people are calling, but do remember this is pre-cell phone. Oh, okay, that's like, right. I mean, I'm sure people. I don't know. I'm sure people had mobile phones right. in, the, in 1990, but it's not like today. Right. It was like the size of your car. Yeah. <laughs> you carry yeah, it well, in yeah, a suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> so after 6 p.m., and some reports actually say 7.30 p.m., police finally go to check out the car that people have been calling about that's stranded alongside the interstate. Which I get that. I mean, that's not like a priority, Also, I guess. I'm sure they're super busy. It's right. Memorial Day weekend. Exactly. So when they arrive, they find an abandoned Oldsmobile. And what I'm going to tell you, Allison, I think you will find it odd that the car was not processed as a crime scene. Like, it blew my mind. Okay. And it still baffles current investigators on the case today. So in one article that I read, um, Lisa Rose Church actually said in this article, today's investigators are quick to note that the original investigators did what they could with the information they had available. However, there were setbacks from the beginning. First, Freyer, who's a member of the Livingston County Sheriff's Department, and he works on like their cold case team, said the spot where investigators found the 1986 silver Oldsmobile that Paige was driving was not processed as a crime scene because at the time it was merely considered an abandoned car and had been tagged as such by an officer. Okay, so basically they're saying the officer shows up, it's not a priority, the car's on the side of the road, slaps that like orange sticker or whatever color sticker it is on it, and then calls a tow truck. Like yes. they're not looking in it. Because right. why would they think to? I mean, sort I, of. I. But yes, like what you're saying, right. yes. But then when I get on so with they the should, condition they should that have, they found the car, they, they should have been like, this is weird. Okay. So he goes on to say they tow it. 
We've got a general idea of where the exact scene was, but we're not exactly sure. They didn't photograph the scene or do a crime scene sketch because at the time it was an abandoned car and that's how it was treated. It wasn't until later they knew what they had. Okay, so you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of Brooklyn Farthing's case and the couch. Oh, yes. And he calls and says, I have a fire at my house. The firefighters show up. They put the couch out. You know what I mean? They didn't realize or like it, it didn't click that, oh my gosh, only the couch is burning. Nothing else is burning and this house has no electricity in it. This is weird. Right. To think, oh, this could be a crime scene. So they treated it like a fire. And again, I can't blame them, but... In and hindsight, yeah. yeah. Then they should have been like, oh my gosh. So I guess something similar is about to go down. Yes. So when they find the car, it is completely undamaged and the doors are unlocked. Okay. So like immediately I'm like, you know, I would be expecting to roll up and there'd be a flat tire. And like this person has just walked to the nearby exit to call for help and they've left their car there. Right. But, obviously, that's not the case. So, this is perfect working condition. Yes. Yes. And so, like, on a more illogical note, I was like, okay, maybe she, like, had her lipstick out and she dropped it. And so, she pulls over so she can get whatever she's dropped. Okay. And maybe she had to step out of the car and accidentally locked herself out of the car. But it's unlocked. But it's unlocked. So okay, can I say too. something? Okay, yeah. I don't know why I would do this, but I totally would. If I'm leaving my car somewhere, especially if I'm leaving it on the side of the road that's heavily traveled right now, even if I had nothing of value in my car, I would not leave it unlocked. Yeah, I would lock the door. Absolutely. I'd lock the door with my car parked in the driveway of my subdivision. Yeah. Like, I don't think hot wiring cars is as easy as movies make it look, but I right. still wouldn't, like, want to give somebody an opportunity. Exactly. Hmm. So, what's even more strange is the fact that Paige's car was idling with the keys still in the ignition. Okay, no. Lights and radio on. No. And they had it towed? And they towed it. Okay, Which yeah. means they had to nope. turn the car off. Yeah. Nope. Nope. See, right there, they should have said, yes. okay, there's something wrong. Because calls came in at like, what did I say? 3.30? Yeah. Three and o'clock? they didn't get to it until hours later. Yeah, and it's running by the side of the car mm. or the, the road. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So not only is the radio on, lights are on, the beer can is open, and it's like in the cup holder. Her shoes were left in the car. Her purse had her wallet inside, and her wallet was full of money. And that's still in the car. car. Personal papers, all left in the car. But Paige is nowhere. Okay, yeah. That, you're right. They should have come up on this car that's running, looked inside... And they know it's been there for hours. Right. Because they're responding to a call that came in hours ago. Have seen that someone's purse with a wallet full of money and props to all these people who drove by and did Yeah, good job, good citizens of the world. Being honest, um, they should have known that something was wrong. Or even what or person run the plates. Walks. Run the plates yeah. and see who it belongs to and call them. Well, they do that, and I'll, t- I'll touch on that. Okay. But, like, my first thing is... I mean, again, not to be stereotypical of Eastern Kentucky, but I never wear shoes. I go barefoot all the time. I would not, however, go barefoot on the side of the interstate. No, no, on pavement. No. Yeah. No. So, unlike many of the cases we cover, 
where we have tons of theories and tons of evidence. In cases, in Paige's case, we really don't. There are three prevalent theories as to what happened to her. And I thought I would talk briefly about those and then dive into the evidence before we kind of make predictions about what we think has happened okay. on the case. Because I want... You, you know that's go. my favorite part. I know. <laughs> so I want us to go in knowing the theories police have okay. and then talk about the evidence. Okay. And then we'll give our two cents because... That's what we do. And it, it matters. Right. <laughs> to so, us. Yeah. Officers seem to agree on these three theories. So, did someone she knew somehow get her to stop by the side of the road and they abducted her? Is theory number one. So, versus just, like, took her somewhere. Right. Oh, yeah, because we don't know where she is still. Exactly. So, okay. So, someone she knew. Yes. So, did she stop for someone she knew? Was it a staged, like, accident slash disappearance? Why would you leave your car running? Yeah. Did someone impersonate a police officer to get her to stop and abducted her from there? Now, that is an interesting theory. I know. And I'm going to talk about that theory a little more. So, all three of these theories hold some credence. So, after we talk about the evidence and, like, the eyewitness accounts that we have, I'm going to be interested to hear, like, what you have to say. Because, I mean... Okay, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but if she had open container of alcohol in the car, and maybe if somebody was impersonating an officer, and they just happened to pull her over, and then they're like, prime opportunity, get out of the car, you know, you need to do a sobriety test or whatever, I mean... It's true, and I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good connection. Hmm. So, here are things we do know. Okay. Paige's car was not investigated until well after 6. Okay. Paige was last seen leaving the store around 2.45. So, what happened in that chunk of time? Like, three hours. That's a lot of time for something to happen. Yes. According to Cold Case Fowlerville, and I really hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly. Y'all know me with the names. (laughs) The day witnesses say they saw Paige stopped on the westbound shoulder of I-96, about a half mile from the Fowlerville exit, was at 3.30 p.m. So, again, okay. like if your car's broken down, mm-hmm. you're only a half a mile away from an exit, and but you're going to know that. But it wasn't broken down. Right. Hmm. So weird. Okay. And I feel like if you're meeting a friend, why would you be like, I'll meet you a half mile away from this exit. Like, right. why not just meet? Wait, wasn't she supposed to go to her... Yes. Beyonce yeah. softball game? Yeah, so she's supposed to be on her way to the softball game. Hmm. So this article goes on to say she was spotted speaking with two identif- unidentified African-American males. They were standing near a vehicle with a possible third male nearby. Witnesses say Paige was gesturing and throwing her hands up in the air before one of the men was seen putting his hand on her shoulder. And then I actually read that there were other eyewitnesses that say, like, you can see the man leading Paige away, like, by her elbow. Like, he's pulling her toward his car, like, by her elbow. Okay. A motorist saw Paige with this individual at approximately 3.30 p.m. So, we know at 3.30, she's alive because she's been seen by the side of the road. Mm -hmm. And he becomes concerned because he passes the vehicle in the exact same location, like, several hours later. All right. When police finally arrive on the scene, they're able to determine who the car belonged to because they do, like you said, they ran the tags. Okay. Good move, finally. Yes. Okay. Yes. And they are able to figure out 
that the car belonged to Paige's mother. All right. The issue is, and Michelle, remember Paige's sister. Oh, she took her to the airport. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. And she tells Dateline, quote, oh, they man. ran the tags and found out the car belonged to my mother. So they called her home and left a message. The issue is... The mom is at the airport because she flew to Georgia to visit Michelle. So the voicemail sits on her answering machine unheard. Oh my gosh, for days. Yeah, for a couple of days is it. And you know, the first 48 hours, that's the most crucial. And now that's yeah. going to be gone. Yes. So Michelle hmm. says her and her mother grew concerned when they hadn't heard from Paige since she dropped their mom off at the airport. And in that interview with Dateline, Michelle says, quote, We didn't have cell phones back then. So when we had not heard from Paige, we called her fiancé, Steve, and asked him to go check the messages at my mom's house. And she said, again, that to Dateline. And so that is when they finally put the pieces together that Paige is missing. Oh, okay. It's when Steve goes to check the voicemail because then they have the voicemail from the police saying that, you know, we have your car. Right. And they don't know where Paige has been. So, we know she's been driving. We know the car has been towed. Right. We don't know where she's at. Right. You know what I think is weird about that whole sighting, though? Is I feel like, I mean, unless... Oh, I hope you say what I think you're going to say. Well, if... I don't know if I am or not. But I think you're if, going to. But if I'm on a busy interstate... You're saying what I And somebody's say. trying to kidnap me, I'm running out in traffic. I'm going to yes. scream, like wave my arms. Like, I, I will jump out in front of them. Yeah, I'd I would I'd rather die too. than be abducted. Right. I would rather get Because you don't know what they're going to do to yes. you. So, yeah, that that just doesn't, mm, yes. doesn't sit right with me. And there's more that I will have to say about being abducted on the side of the interstate. Okay. When we talk about theories. So it wasn't until police met with Steve that Saturday that they decided to process the car as a crime scene and talk to eyewitnesses and finally investigate Paige as like a missing person. So I wonder if they were assuming because the car was running, but see, the purse in it doesn't make any sense to me. Right, because if she like needed something and had to walk to the gas station, she would need money. Because I was, I was going to say, maybe they processed it like as if somebody had potentially stolen the car and they'd left it abandoned and then that's why they're calling the owner of the car. But knowing that it was running, which I guess if somebody had stolen it, I don't know if that's called. But they would have left money in the car. Right, exactly. So that, it, that doesn't fit either. So according again to that Rose Church article, some eyewitness reports indicate that the second vehicle was parked in front of Paige's car, but the majority of witnesses report seeing it behind Paige's car, which again will be important when we talk about theories. And again, if somebody's behind me, I'm driving off. Right. But and if it's a police, a car, police car, it yeah. would pull up behind you yeah. and not in front of you. It's true. So those witnesses report that Paige and the unidentified male were seen standing and talking between two vehicles, which again makes sense if jumping the gun but again makes sense if it is someone impersonating a police officer okay okay so as time has gone on people have actually described at least five different vehicles that they say were was like behind Paige's car are they anywhere close like in terms of what they look like no okay one was a white pickup truck all right a red cargo van 
a blue truck that had like an emblem on the side. But the majority of people describe a maroon minivan. Okay, so at least there's a majority. Yeah. But that, none of those so, are similar. I mean, maybe the red cargo van and the maroon minivan. Maybe. Police think, though, that people have, over time, just maybe started confusing cars they saw, like, abandoned. Oh, uh, with what with they saw. What they saw okay. Then. That makes a lot of sense to me. Police are able to piece together a sort of kind of timeline, and they determined that Paige went missing around 4. So, shortly after that motorist reported seeing her at 3.30. Okay. With the man and her, like, talking anima, like, oh, okay. animation right. with the man. Right, Okay. So, for the purpose of today, since that's what police agree upon, we're going to say that Paige was talking to two African-American men near a maroon van. Okay. Some eyewitnesses say that the man was leaning over Paige, resting his hand on the van, which is creepy. Yeah, that's kind of aggressive. Yeah. Police are able to determine that this was likely true, though, because, according again to that Rose Church article, police found several fingerprints on the outside of the car. Um, And they have also, which, by the way, none have been identified. Oh, man. I was going to say, yes, fingerprints. They also have a palm print. Mm -hmm. Oh, so that makes sense. Yeah. But again, no match. And in that same article, Freyer, who I quoted earlier, said, quote, We do have a pretty good set of palm prints that could be left like someone is leaning on the car. And we have some witnesses who say they might have seen someone actually doing that. That's one of our better pieces of physical evidence. The problem is some places didn't take palm prints when someone was arrested. Oh, I didn't even think about that because usually they just take fingerprints. Yeah. Maybe that's something that they need to... Do they do it? I don't think I've ever had a palm print done. We have to have... Not that we've been arrested. (laughs) As teachers, we have to get... We have to register our fingerprints with the state. And so... And I'm horrible at it. Oh, I know. They'll like... You know, because, well, take your nervous. finger in that. And my hands sweat. Oh, and then no. the ink won't stick. Like, I'm talking about it. My hands are sweating. <laughs> and the ink won't stick to my finger. And when I started at my new county, I had to do it twice. Because, because the first you messed one, up. The first one, they said they couldn't read them. And so then I had to do them again. And it's horrible. But then yeah. when we went to Washington, I think I've said this before. Oh, when um, you visited the FBI? Yeah, and it's yeah. like digital now. And I'm oh, like, well, now no, the FBI cool. has their fingerprints. Not that it matters because right. I don't commit crimes. No, we are real followers, but, yeah. <laughs> but I've never had my palm print. No, But that's either. interesting because there have been several cases where I feel like... That would be... Yeah. Crucial. Maybe that's what we need to start police. doing everywhere. You need to start I know. doing that. And that really is it. So we have a few fingerprints, a palm print, and eyewitness accounts. And fingerprints and palm prints don't match anyone. Yeah. And eyewitness accounts are like notoriously fallible like they're (laughs) so really we have nothing we have nothing (laughs) so i want to talk about the theories um, behind her disappearance all right so remember that theory one is that she saw someone she knew pulled over to speak to them and was abducted okay okay i find this hard to believe i do too and i'm going to tell you why so if i'm being honest i actually find like you said a lot of eyewitness accounts hard to believe mm-hmm. because I feel like our brain is so much smarter than like what we give it credit for. Mm-hmm. I think it tricks us a lot of the time. But let's pretend like you are driving down the interstate. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't go 70 mile per hour on the interstate 
especially if there's cars around me right. that are going the same speed as me, right. I'm doing faster than that. On a holiday weekend, <laughs> I could only assume people are speeding. Right. So if that's the case, Paige is likely driving faster than the allotted speed limit. So how would she have seen someone she knew and somehow communicated to them to pull oh, over? Because yeah. remember, this is pre-cell phone. Unless, like, this person's pretending like they had a flat tire and Paige sees them and pulls over. But again, I just feel like that is hard to orchestrate. And especially if she has a place to be. Right. Like, if she's going to go to the softball game, like, she has a place where she's headed. Right. Right? Then it doesn't really make sense, I guess, that she would... I don't know. And I mean, think about, too, like, how many times have you passed, like, a vehicle and they're changing a tire on the side mm-hmm. of the interstate? Oh, yeah. It happens you all the so time. You pass so quickly. Right. What do it's you like notice? It, it's like it registers in your head that they were changing a tire after you've already passed, yeah. too. So, how am I supposed to take time to notice, like... Oh, that's she my was friend. Standing, yeah. She was standing <laughs> beside a maroon van. He was leaned over her. He was, like, pulling her by the elbow. Like, how do you have enough time to right. see all that? Right. Unless there was a lot of traffic. That's true. Because then, like, they could be going slower, even at standstill. Which, if that's the case, and someone's trying to kidnap me, and it's Again, still then traffic, you, then I'm you like, can run in front of their car. Yeah. yeah. I'm you don't have to in the door, jumping in. That's right. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You might have to worry about getting shot when you jump in somebody's yeah. car, but not about being hit by the car. True. So, theory two is the stage disappearance. And this one, I think, makes even less sense. Yeah. So again, and I know I've quoted this article a lot, but she had a lot of good information. Um, the Rose Church article, Freyer said that this staged incident has, quote, some validity, but that they don't have enough evidence to really support the theory entirely. So, But why would she? She's getting married in six months. She's close with her mom. She obviously calls her all the time because they were worried when they hadn't heard from her in, like, the hours after she dropped her mom off at the airport. That's true. You know what I mean? And so that just seems... Well, I think that they said this because of two things. So one, Paige had moved a fairly large sum of money into her checking account. But again, you're getting married, and that's oh. expensive. Yeah. Deposits are expensive. It could have been paying for photography. Yeah, or, or the food. Right. Or whatever. And it's expensive. Like, I mean, you're dropping... $2,000 for flowers. Yeah. So that to me is totally explainable. The second thing is that family and friends told investigators that Paige and Steve were actually having some like relationship issues around the time that she disappeared. But like, I don't think there would be any issue that would make me run away. Yeah, me neither. Like, just end. Yeah, you're not married. Just break up. So, okay, maybe I'm being very, I don't know. I don't know what word I want to use, but has there been a theory that Steve had something to do with it? Well, Steve actually spoke with police several times, and each time they questioned him, he's cleared of any involvement. Okay, okay, because I was thinking... Obviously, you never want to have to go there to question. And yet, that's generally, in terms of crime, Mm -hmm. who police need to look at first. So, that's good to know. 
So yeah, I don't think there's anything there that indicates that she would want to like run away from her family also. Yeah. And they, she had like no major travel plans, um, no plans to like leave the country. So what could have happened to her? Right. Which brings us to theory three. And that is that Paige was pulled over by a person impersonating a police officer. See, I like this theory. Which is a lot of peace. Yes. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh. Yes. That could be it. And you're going to say that even more because, um, according to the Charlie Project, three unsolved abductions slash murders of young women occurred in the late 1980s in the general area from which Paige vanished. Oh, so pattern. I know. Yeah. So, at the same time, there are multiple incidents of people impersonating police officers and Mm. showing fake badges to motorists to get them to stop. Okay. Well, again... And that's a fear Gives of more mine. credence to this theory. But we talked about it. You can call 911. At least I've heard. I've never done it. You can call 911 and you can say, yes, I am on, you know, whatever road. I'm being pulled over by an officer. I just wanted to make sure that it's safe to pull over. Except mom would be like, um, I just passed the Burger King. And I have no idea right. the name of the road right. that I'm on. <laughs> I turned left to the Burger King. Track my phone. Yeah. <laughs> Turn my phone on. So... I guess, like you said, this one I think just makes the most sense. And mm-hmm. especially when I read that um, Paige's father actually had law enforcement experience. So she would have, and this was a quote from an article, like, respected the badge. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I just think this one, it just fits. And, again, if, if that's kind of what she grew up with, then, yeah, there would be, like, a natural trust of someone who is an officer. Yes, 100% agree. So I do want to bring up a few things that happened um, in this investigation, like directly after and then over the past several years. Okay. So again, according to the Rose Church article, um, about six months after Paige disappeared, investigators received a letter with a map enclosed, which I think is weird. Mm -hmm. And the letter read... The information may be a red herring. However, I have recently come into some information about Paige that may or may not be true. I've tried to verify as much of this information as I could and have found many of the details to be true. The author continues to say that the map is a supposed route taken by her abductors. And the letter ends unsigned saying, thank you for your attention to this. Okay, so which tells me in my mind, psychoanalyzing. Okay. Either this is someone who has heard this story, right? Has heard someone tell a story about Paige's abduction. Or they're doing like kind of what we're doing. Right. Piecing bits together. Right. And has scared themselves, which is why they wouldn't sign the note. Or since there were multiple potential perpetrators, it could be one of them who is now having a guilty conscience and... Yeah, I actually read there were six total suspect sketches. That's a lot. But only three men. Hmm. I know. Again, I mean, again, maybe because you're going so fast. Right, right. But what they... We'll get back to the letter because it's like, why this long? Right. So, Paige's case was actually reopened in the late 1990s because police do end up saying that this is a homicide. Okay. Well, good. And they've never found the body, but they do say it's a homicide. 
which I guess would be technically hard to do because there's no crime scene. Right. Yeah. I know. Y'all should see Allison's face. Like, I can see the wheels <laughs> turning in right. her brain. Right, because there's no blood. There's no sign of struggle. There's no... We just have those eyewitnesses and her vehicle. That's and, it. And even then, they didn't see the they didn't see the, the men actually do anything to her other than potentially walk with her. Yeah. Hmm. So, in August of 1990, a United Press International report speculated that a body floating 500 feet north of, like, a Arbor that was so hard for me to say just then <laughs> in Wisconsin was Paige, but that actually turned out to be false. So that's our first like right. false right false lead. Yes. And then again, according to the Charlie Project, an unidentified inmate in a Michigan prison was named as a suspect in Paige's case in May of two thousand one. So we're eleven years post her mm-hmm. initial mm-hmm. The man was in prison for carjacking, and his victim was a young woman, and the crime apparently occurred only weeks after Paige's disappearance. So, police kind of speculated that they may have been related, and they interviewed the suspect several times and believed that he was one of the men that spoke with Paige before she went missing, but, or could have been one of the men, like, in the car, Mm -hmm. but wasn't actually, like, the person that like abducted her right but he took a lie detector test and passed so he was eliminated as a suspect which again we've talked about makes no sense i know because like you can't use lie detection detection tests in court so it's proof of guilt so how are you using it as proof of innocence yes it makes no sense right but we don't make those rules that's a story for another day yeah (laughs) that's a soapbox for another day (laughs) so the rose church article said that in may of 2002 The Associated Press reported that police, quote, identified two suspects in connection with Paige's disappearance. One of those suspects was in prison at the time. The other was 17 at the time of Paige's disappearance, and he actually failed a polygraph test, but I couldn't find, like, what happened because of that. Right. That was just kind of the end of that lead. In 2011, authorities began to search a pond in Handy Township using ground-penetrating radar, which we talked about um, in another case that we covered. Because you said you had to ask Anthony a question about it. Yeah, because Anthony knows way more things about dirt than what you should It was a woman who could have been buried in, like, a parking lot structure. Yeah. Interesting. But nothing turns up from that. Like, a woman had reported seeing a pair of cement-covered boots around the time of Paige's disappearance, so they used this ground penetrating radar but nothing comes of it Mm -hmm. it wasn't until november 2011 that using the map they received from this letter and i don't even remember what took so long like what took you so long that the fbi state and local police um like search a property in conway township so they even bring in cadaver dogs but there are no remains found on this property. So I just looked it back up and it was six months after Paige's disappearance that they got that. And they're not looking it up until 2011. 2011. Hmm. Wow. Maybe they're busy. But here's a question that I don't know. So obviously I've told you how much I'm in awe of the cadaver dogs and what they're able to do. And 
the ability mm -hmm. that they have. But my question to you is this, because it had been so long between Paige's disappearance and them actually searching this property, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. like, yeah, how she disappears. Yeah, if she disappears in 1990, right? And they're not searching it until 2011. That's 21 years. Let's say, I guess here's my question. What if the remains used to be there, but then were moved someplace else? Yeah. What, does the ground lose the scent? Like if the remains aren't there anymore? Like how long does yeah, the I don't, scent remain in the Right. Area? Plus, I because feel like the weather would affect that. I would think Rain, so, too. Erosion of the soil. And so, mm -hmm. I guess I'm wondering if they had actually investigated the map when they had received it. Would we still be talking about her case today? That's true. So, wandering minds want to know. <laughs> we have a question for you guys. Yeah. Two pounds each week, too. <laughs> yeah. So, if you know anything about cadaver dogs, how long does a scent stay in a certain area particularly if the remains have been moved so there you go because last week was it last week or week before last that we issued the wandering minds want to know about the lawyer mm -hmm. like client confidentiality and lying when you're like you know your client's gonna right. lie and we actually had a sleuth hound miss casey right. she messaged me back with a very good answer about that. Right. And it basically the answer is it depends. Yeah, basically. So all about the wording. Right, sorry, the that's right. It's all about the wording of the questions. For sure. Yes. And that same article, it cites how investigators dug four holes in one spot in the seventy seven hundred block of Sober Road in Conway Township, where cadaver dogs indicated a possible presence of human remains. Oh. But again, that was done successful. Mm -hmm. Despite all of these attempts, police have ruled, like I said, her death a homicide and now wait for the right pieces to fall into place so Paige can be found and her case solved. So I feel like we, as we went, kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. talked about each one of the theories. Yeah. But just again, Allison, I want to know what your theory is. Okay, I would say of all the theories, I'm more inclined to believe that it was someone impersonating an officer, only because, as I mentioned before, here Paige has an open container of alcohol in the car, and like getting out, having to do something like a sobriety test would be a reason to ask a young woman to get out of the car. Um, again, if I have someone dressed as an officer, then I'm not gonna run out away from them in front of traffic because then I'm gonna get arrested. Um, I'm gonna get hit by a car and then arrested. And, and probably taste. Right, yeah, <laughs> so I'm out on that. Um, but my hang up on that theory is that we have so many eyewitnesses and I, I know we talk about the questionability of the eyewitness counts and they're seeing all kinds of different stuff but I didn't hear a single one of them say that they saw someone in an officer's uniform or right. or a police car and I don't think I'm I mean I know police are undercover but a maroon minivan right are you that undercover police officers is that something we can know <laughs> like yeah because 
Well, I just, I feel like there would have been some indication that this was an officer. Yeah. And so that's why, and why would the, I don't know, I would think that the officer would say, you know, please shut off your car or whatever. Yeah. I don't, and would have asked for your license. Yeah, and her wallet was in the car. I didn't, I did not read if, like, I'm assuming if they didn't take the money, they didn't take her driver. Like, why would right. you take her driver's right. license? Right, that's true. So... I guess that's where I'm I'm torn on it, but I, I don't think that she would have run away. I don't know what kind of foul play was involved, but I definitely think there's foul play. Agreed. Paige's family have not given up hope. Her mother spent the remainder of her life fighting to find justice for Paige and to bring peace to her family. Since her mother's death, Paige's sister, Michelle, has taken over this role of constant reminder to the police that her sister is still missing. Quote, since my mother passed away a year and a half ago, you know, someone's got to be the squeaky wheel, Michelle said. We keep in touch with authorities pretty regularly. We have to keep the wheel turning, even though there's not a lot of new information. People still call in after all these years. It's shocking to me how many people still call in after all this time. And how many people, especially with social media now, are following the case. People have moved. People have died along the way. People have retired. Finding some of these people who were interviewed early on is a little tricky. We're urging our investigators to start over, she told Dateline. When there's a missing person, it's different now than 30 years ago. There's DNA and different technical things that you couldn't do 30 years ago, end quote. There have been more than 1,000 tips called into police and billboards erected to bring awareness to Paige's disappearance. And despite all of that, this case is still cold. In an interview with Rose Church, Freyer said, quote, we still believe there's someone out there who knows. It's time for them to do the right thing, and it's time for them to come forth and tell what they know. This family and this young lady deserve justice, end quote. I empathize with Paige because I understand how it feels to finally be figuring life out. At 30, you seem to finally have figured out how to paddle through life, and I can't begin to understand how anyone would rip away someone's life and destroy their family. Paige was adventurous, fun-loving, and trusting. She was loved by her entire family. They've been wandering long enough. It's time we bring them peace. According to the Charlie Project, Paige was last seen in a white silk blouse, baggy silk pants with a multicolored floral pattern, and a long beaded necklace. Paige is a Caucasian female with blonde hair, blue eyes. Paige has a surgical scar on her right leg, a long surgical scar on the inside of her right arm, and a scar on her right elbow. Paige has had two surgical screws inserted into her left knee and her right knee has been replaced. A photo of Paige in these clothes will be posted to our social media page, as well as a suspect sketch and car photos. Michigan Crime Stoppers is offering a cash reward of up to $2,500 for any information about Paige's disappearance. Anyone with information on the disappearance of Paige is asked to contact Deputy Investigator Robert J. Getchman of the Livingston County Sheriff's Department at 517-546-2400 or directly at 517-540-7880. You can also text a tip to investigators at 517-546-TIPS. You can also email investigators at coldcasetips at livegov.com. 
Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. week.